As the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court respond to a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade, they presented at least five falsehoods about legalized abortion. I'll deal with each one of these and provide answers today on The Mark Harrington Show. Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can support our ministry and the radio program by going to createdequal.org to donate. So today what we're doing, we're talking about the five ways that the U.S. Supreme Court and the justices on the U.S. Supreme Court lied during the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case that was heard about a week ago. And yours truly, your radio activist, was there on the street in front of the uh, Supreme Court. And I got to uh, afterwards unpack some of that by listening to the oral arguments uh, online. Now, one thing that's been good about the pandemic, and there hasn't been much to say that's been good about it, is that the uh, the Supreme Court hearings, the cases now, and the the oral arguments are given are actually streamed live online. That's new. So if there's anything we can take from this pandemic that's actually uh, happened that's been a positive thing, that's one of them. Before that, we were unable to know what happened inside the uh, Supreme Court uh, chambers, except for what people reported on what took place. So this this gives us an opportunity, unique opportunity, to actually hear what the oral arguments were made about. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about five ways that the U.S. Supreme Court lied about abortion during the Dobbs v. Jackson uh, hearings. Now, when I say Supreme Court, I mean the justices. And so if you don't know what's been going on, and I hope that you do, that this case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, is probably the most consequential case that's come before the U.S. Supreme Court in almost 30 years since Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And just to give you a little background on it, this is a case coming out of Mississippi that bans abortion. It means it outlaws it at 15 weeks. Now, why is that an issue? Because Roe and and Casey basically set up this this, uh, standard, if you will, of viability. That is that the state cannot ban abortion, outlaw it, prior to viability. And that has been the precedent of the federal courts for 30 years and since Roe versus Wade. So as you can imagine, if you're going to ban abortion at 15 weeks, you are uh, directly confronting that standard of viability. Now, viability changes over time, but what we believe and science teaches mostly is that it, as early as, say, 21 weeks, but up to maybe 24, 25 weeks, a baby can live outside the woman. So that's been the standard of the federal courts when they look at abortion laws to find out whether they are constitutional or not. Now, let's all back up a little bit. We understand the U.S. Supreme Court should have never weighed in on Roe versus Wade. They should have never weighed in on abortion. Uh, this shouldn't even be happening in, in Washington, D.C. But the fact of the matter, it is. And it's an important case that we need to be following. The, the, the bottom line is the state of Mississippi has every right under the U.S. federal constitution and federalism to ban abortion in their own states, irrespective of what the U.S. Supreme Court says. 
because the federal constitution does not specifically deal with abortion in the sense that it it gives this so-called right to privacy. Let's so I just wanted to set the stage for what we're talking about today in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case. So what I want to do here, we're going to go through each one of these uh, statements by the justice. Now, of course, I can't go over every one of them. I've just picked out a few of them so we can talk about them because there were some real whoppers uh, put forward by some of the justices. Others were some from the conservative, so-called conservative side, that also need to be corrected a little bit. So what we want to do is first start out. This is going to be a, a, uh, a comment by Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who is a liberal justice. She's one of the three liberal justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. And she talks about stare decisis in that the whole case, just so you know, folks, here's what it boiled down to. The entire case from the pro-abortion side from the uh, from the the Planned Parenthood, you know, the the Center for Reproductive Rights attorneys and representatives, the whole case they made was that you cannot overturn precedent like Roe versus Wade and Casey. You just can't do it, and that's their whole argument. They didn't argue that abortion is is a right. They didn't argue that abortion is right to do that. It's Permissible, it doesn't kill, it's not murder, only the life begins somewhere down the road after viability. None of that. They didn't take it, they didn't take any of that on. All they did was basically rest their entire case on the idea of stare decisis. And that is that there is a that precedent matters and the Supreme Court should not overturn Roe v. Wade as egregious as it may be, because it is precedent. So let's go ahead and play this clip. This is Justice so Sonia Sotomayor. Now, um, the sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, turn that up. said we're doing it because we have new justices. The newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. I, I, I don't well, see you go. how it is possible. Uh, there, there you go. It's Justice Sotomayor talking about how uh, the Supreme Court cannot overturn Roe v. Wade because the court, in her opinion, would not survive as an institution. And what she's getting to there is that in, in the perception of Americans, uh, they would see this institution as um, irrelevant or, um, you know, they would just lose confidence in it. That That's the entire argument she made. And she said it would leave a stench. If we overturn Roe and Casey, it would leave a stench in the nostrils of the American people. Now, I would say that the complete opposite is true of that. It's been 50 years of Roe that has delegitimized the, the institution of the United States Supreme Court. I mean, we have been debating this for 50 years, how this ruling is unconstitutional and how the court should have never been involved. That has delegitimized the 
U.S. Supreme Court, not if they overturn Roe versus Wade. And additionally, the real stench is the stench of the baby's blood that is in the nostrils of Almighty God, who for 50 years we've had unabated child killing, that the rivers of American cities are running red with the blood of unborn children, and that eventually a nation that kills its babies on the level that we have in the last 50 years cannot survive and is under the judgment of God. That should be the concern of the United States Supreme Court. That is the stench that will be smell, uh, we will smell, if anything, and that is the stench of the unborn. So the idea that the court can't survive Roe versus Wade, it, the opposite is true. In fact, if they overturn Roe, that will restore confidence in the U.S. Supreme Court that they aren't political and they don't involve themselves in places and in cases that they shouldn't be involved in. All right, so we want to go to the second clip. Now, this clip, again, is Sonia Sotomayor, and she talks about the question of when life begins. So go ahead and play that clip. It has all, all of the problems. How is your interest anything but a religious view? Um, the issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. Um, so when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect the life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when? You're not drawing your... There you go. So anyway, this, this one is just the old, tired-out argument of 50 years ago. Uh, it was in Roe versus Wade that Harry Blackman wrote that we cannot, as a court, determine when life begins. Now, 50 years have passed. Maybe you could give them the benefit of the doubt in 1973 that they didn't know when life begins because they didn't have the technology. We might be able to give them a little bit of slack on that one. But now we're 50 years removed from Roe versus Wade, and we all know, really, we do, that life begins at conception. I mean, ultrasound imagery is ubiquitous. We have the technology to go inside the womb. We can see what happens. We get it now. We all understand it. And the fact of the matter is that every serious embryologist agrees that life begins at fertilization. There is no disagreement in the scientific community. Now, when she talks about this being a religious question, uh, yeah, some religions disagree as to when the soul enters the human body. This is true. Christianity is clear. That is at the point of conception, at creation. That is a settled question amongst Christian scholars. But just because there might be a disagreement of when the soul, now she says when life begins, that's a religious question. That is not a religious question. That is a scientific question, not a religious question, which is already settled. The, 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 when the soul enters the body, that is a religious question. And just because there is not a consensus on that amongst religious scholars from all different types of religions does not mean that we can't determine 
when it happens. And the bottom line is the Christian Bible is true. The others are a lie. Uh, so she, you know, this is that old tired out argument that we don't when life begins. She conflates science with religion. When life begins is a scientific question, what we've already answered. The religious question is up for debate amongst some religions. Christianity is very true on that, that the soul enters the body at creation. Now, let's go to the third clip. Now, this is uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, and uh, he talks about, and this is getting to the heart of the matter, really. Uh, and I'm thankful for Clarence Thomas trying to focus in on this issue. And that is he asked basically, where is the so-called right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution? That is the quintessential question that needs to be answered. That was never answered in Roe versus Wade. They just made it up out of thin air. But we want uh, we want to hear from Justice Clarence Thomas Thomas when he asked this question. Go ahead and play that clip. I understand we're talking about abortion here. But what is confusing is that we, if, if we were talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about because it's written, it's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? So the right specifically is abortion. It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy, yes. Thank you. Well, I mean, praise God for Clarence Thomas. He got her to say what he wanted her to say, and that is that this is all about one thing. It's not about bodily autonomy. It's not about personal liberty. It's about the right to abortion, i.e. the right to kill your baby. And he got her to say that, and that's what was so important to do. So he asked, where is this right to abortion? I think it's important that he pointed to the idea that if it's written in the text, like in the Fourth Amendment or Second Amendment, like it says, he can read it. He sees it right there. The right to keep and bear arms is clear, right? But with the Roe versus Wade decision, or I should say, in the Constitution, there is no so-called right to abortion. There's just nothing there. The word doesn't appear. So they made it out of this so-called right to privacy, which, by the way, those words don't appear either. And they extended this so-called right to privacy, which I think there is a right to privacy for, you know, you can't have illegal searches and seizures and these kinds of things. But that right to privacy does not permit a woman to kill her baby. There is a limitation on our right to privacy, right to bodily autonomy, if we harm someone else and in this case, kill an individual human being. The U.S. Supreme Court in 1973 made up the right to ab abortion out of the so-called right to privacy, which was found in the penumbras, which are the shadows of the U.S. Constitution. In other words, they made it up. And that's why the court has been delegitimized over the last 50 years. And it won't be delegitimized uh, by the reversal or overturning of Roe versus Wade. In fact, that will restore some of its legitimacy to the American people. Another note is that when the uh, states were, uh, when, the, when the 14th Amendment was ratified, which says no state can deprive a person of the right to life, liberty, or property without due process of law, that, that amendment, when that was ratified the U.S. Constitution, every state in America prohibited abortion. So the idea that uh, 
There's this so-called right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution is a lie, another one of the lies. So let's go to the fourth misstatement, or at least half-truth, if you will, from the justices. This is Justice Clarence, or I'm sorry, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Go ahead and play that clip. I think the other side would say that the core problem here is that the court uh, has been forced by the position you're taking and by the, the cases to pick sides on uh, the most contentious social debate in American life and to do so in a situation where they say uh, that the Constitution is neutral on the question of abortion, the text in history, that the Constitution's neither pro-life nor pro-choice on the question of abortion. Uh, and they would say, therefore, it should be left to the people, to the states, um, or, or to Congress. Uh, and I think they also then continue, because the Constitution is neutral, that this court should be scrupulously neutral on the question of abortion, neither pro-choice nor pro-life. But because they say the Constitution doesn't give us the authority, we should leave it to the states and we should be scrupulously neutral on the question. And that they are saying here, I think, that we should return to a position of neutrality uh, on that contentious social issue rather than continuing to pick sides well, there you go. That's Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And I think one thing he does well is sum up the pro-life position in this case. And that is that the U.S. Constitution does not directly reference abortion, therefore it should be left to the states to decide and the people or Congress. And I think that's a fair a summation of the position of the pro-life side in the Dobbs v. Jackson case. Uh, however, I would disagree with him at some level and say, I think the Constitution does speak to it. I think that uh, prior to the enactment of the U.S. Constitution, states were banning abortion. Uh, so as far as history goes, the banning of abortion was something that was being done at the state level before the U.S. Constitution was ratified. I think the word person in the 14th Amendment does include the unborn. I think that was understood. I think the writings of our founders and some of the history uh, it speaks to that. Now, the question of whether the you, you, these Supreme Court justices are going to go that far and not only reverse or overturn Roe versus Wade, but reverse it in the sense that they will, quote, say that, uh, that the right to life is in the U.S. Constitution beginning at conception, I think is a little far for them to go right now. Now, I think that's where they should be, but that's not where they are. Uh, I will take it for this at this moment if the justices just decide a majority say that the Constitution does not have the right to abortion and therefore it goes back to the states. I'd settle for that, even though I think the Constitution does speak to it. Text history, legal precedent does. So, it, it, you know, he's right in summing up the position of the pro-life side. But I would have liked to hear the justices say that the Constitution does protect the unborn at conception, and that word person does include them in the 14th Amendment. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is the fifth uh, misstatement, if you will. Or Again, I think some of these arguments are decent. It's just they just don't go far enough. And this is Justice Amy Coney Barrett 
she's talking about safe haven laws and how that might have changed the view over time in the last 50 years as to whether women need abortion. Go ahead and play that clip. Justice Barrett. Um, I have a follow-up to Justice Kagan's question about reliance. I'm just trying to nail down, and, and I asked um, Ms. Ruckelman this question, too, but I'm not sure that I fully understand the government's position or um, Ms. Ruckelman's position. So on pages 18 and 19 of your brief, you talk about reliance interests, and you quote some of the language from Casey about a woman's ability to participate in the social and economic life of the nation. And I mentioned the safe haven laws to Ms. Rinkleman, and it, it seems to me I fully understand the reliance interests. They're the airy ones Justice Kagan was referring to, and then they're the more uh, excuse me, specific ones um, about a woman's access to abortion as a backup form of birth control in the event that contraception fails so that she need not um, bear the burdens of pregnancy. But what do you have to say to petitioner's argument that those reliance interests do not include the reliance interests of parenting and bringing a child into the world when maybe that's not the best thing for her family or her career. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett talking about the reliance interest and how these safe haven laws have changed all that. I don't want to get caught up in the weeds here, but the reliance interest was spoken of in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey uh, Supreme Court case in which the justices basically came to the conclusion that you can't reverse Roe versus Wade because too many American women rely on it, like a form of birth control. And Amy Coney Barrett's argument is that that should no longer be the case because in all 50 states, there are what we call safe haven laws. That is that if you birth a child, you can take the child to a hospital and that hospital will place that child for adoption. No questions asked. You just drop the baby off. Now, or if you deliver a baby, you can give over the baby uh, to the hospital and they'll take care of that and the baby will be adopted, a place for adoption. And what she's getting at here is that she's saying that the, un the burden, if you will, or the reliance interest of women uh, relying on abortion is so that they not only don't have to become pregnant, but they don't have to parent. And she was trying to get at the point that the whole issue of parenting has been dealt with by these safe haven laws. That is that a woman who who is pregnant does not have to parent the child and can, uh, with these safe haven laws, give the baby over to a hospital and they can place the child for adoption, which removes one of those concerns that people had on the other side, supposedly, that uh, that abortion restricting or banning abortion would cause an undue burden to women and that they rely on it. Now, here's where she goes a little bit wrong. And I, I would agree. Nobody nobody is forced to parent a baby. Even now you can ad place the baby for adoption. You know, you don't have to parent. So the idea that people, women are being forced to parent is a lie. The other thing is, it's also true, mostly, except for the case of rape and incest, that women are not forced to become pregnant either. <laughs> uh, pregnancy is something that occurs through a consensual act of sexual intercourse. That's something that a male and female consent to do, knowing full well that, the, that that can produce a pregnancy or a baby. So the idea that 
people are forced to be pregnant and forced to parent is a lie. It's never been true. Uh, is it difficult for a woman to go through a pregnancy? Of course. My wife's gone through four of them. I know all about that. Of course, I I didn't carry those children, but I saw her go through it. Uh, and we have parented. So I understand it's not the easiest thing in the world, but that does not permit the state, or in this case, the federal government, to say it's okay to kill your baby. So in conclusion here, I want to wrap all this up and ask you to take action. Uh, this case is going to be probably handed down either in the spring or, or summer. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction here. I don't like doing that because I think reading tea leaves is risky business, but I'd be interested in your take as to whether you think the United States Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe versus Wade or not. I'd like to hear from you. So go to MarkHarringtonShow.com, MarkHarringtonShow.com, and just submit a comment. Just say, hey, Mark, I think Roe versus Wade is going to get overturned. I think it's going to be a 6-3 decision. Or, hey, Mark, I don't think the uh, Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. I think it's going to be a 5-4 against or whatever. I want to hear from you uh, as to what you think about the Roe versus Wade case, I mean, the, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Center case before the United States Supreme Court. So go to MarkHarringtonShow.com and submit a comment. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.